see a one for the trouble, two for the time. Oh, come on, y'all, let's rock that. Joey in the house tonight on the house list podcast. My name is Peter Augustin, the host and producer of the show. Uh, I couldn't be more excited to talk to the one pal Joey Joseph Longo here on the podcast. Just recorded it. We did it in Brooklyn at a club at midnight outside 30 degree weather. And it was incredible. So let me set this all up for y'all. First, I want to shout out Controller7, who did me that little intro. Shouts to him. That was dope. Because I wanted to show the kind of lineage, in a way, of the Pal Joey production kind of bridge from hip-hop to dance music, which uh, plays a big part of his whole career. Native New Yorker who now lives in France and rarely does interviews, conversations. And I was able to sit with him and we had a great, great chat. And then I hung out, watched some DJ. We, we kind of hung and uh, it was a fun night and a great uh, conversation with a producer and an engineer that I've admired for many, many years. Uh, first, I also want to shout out to Alfredo who set up the gig and um, who I hadn't seen in a long time, too. So, and helped me kind of bridge this so that we could do the conversation. Every episode is edited and engineered by CJ Stewart. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, you can subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, but especially SoundCloud. I like that one because people can interact with me a little bit more. You can repost it a little easier. But whichever way you choose to listen to podcasts, thank you so much for continuing to tune in think this is going to be our 76th one and it was a cool one and you can see uh the way that we do this too so i want to get a sense of of who he is and, and where he comes from and uh and understand the whole scope of his career you know uh, it's one that hasn't been documented a ton but he has this website now 
that really kind of shows the full spectrum. It's pretty comprehensive, which I would implore you to go peep uh, as a companion to this conversation. It's paljoeymusic.com. I'd also say, too, a good companion piece podcast-wise on the house list is if you haven't listened to episode 60, DJ Spinna, um, I think this would complement that one greatly. Those two have a very similar lineage, I think, artistically, production-wise, uh, as New York producers in dance music that encapsulate you know, multiple genres, sample-based dance music and hip-hop and house and all that stuff which I love and admire and collect. And so for pal Joey, I first came into his uh, music, knowing who he was from Boogie Down Productions. He did um, Love's Gonna Get You," and is actually in the music video. And when that record came out and that video, you know, I'd already been a fan of BDP but that something about that, I think I really came to like truly, um, there's something about that album. Edutainment is, uh, is right up there. Might be, might be the top album for me from BDP. And, uh, that was his first kind of, uh, time producing like a hip hop record. And we talk about it. He, he, he went on to produce half of, of, uh, sex and violence. And also, if you listen to our Prince Paul conversation, I did some episodes back as well. Paul did a lot of that record, too. And we have kind of a similar exchange when we talk about that record. Um, But, I mean, 13 and Good, that's Pal Joey. Duck Down, obviously, which we started with, Pal Joey. Now, there's a record that didn't make Sex and Violence, the original version of of Questions and Answers, which is an incredible white label if you own it, uh, for, you know, the heads, the care... And there's some stuff I asked him specifically about that, which I was excited to understand. Now, um, the way I kind of look at him as a producer, it's like inherently hip hop, but there's this dance element that is very specific to like a New York, New Jersey approach, aesthetic, um, there's samples and loops and drum breaks and the tempos that is very particular to this region and through the 80s and the 90s where the two genres interact quite a bit seamlessly, which wouldn't be uh, probably possible hadn't he spent cut his teeth, if you will, as a engineer at Powerplay Studios, the famed recording studio here in New York City. There's some great uh, writings, stories about that. If you're not familiar at all with the lineage of Powerplay, which is all those classic Sleeping Bag Records albums, EPMD, Nice and Smooth, but also Eric B. and Rakim, Cool G Rap, uh, countless, countless, even some of the earliest uh, hip-hop productions on Wax, too, Cold Crush Brothers, and so forth. Um, There, Patrick Adams, and Ivan Doc, DJ Doc Rodriguez. In fact, there's a, an article that Chairman Mao, the great writer, New York DJ collector, uh, did a year ago that's definitely worth um, scoping out. You can find it quite easily on the internet. So anyway, Pal Joey. I've been fascinated with this dude 
because of his records, his monikers, his record labels. This guy has like maybe six or seven different labels, probably 30 to 40 different aliases uh, for his music, for his production. Now, Pal Joey is kind of the big umbrella, but even Hot Music was done by Soho. The record I'm going to end the show with is something totally different. The Beautiful People record and a lot of other incredible kind of titles where he he did maybe one release under a certain name or two or three. And uh, of course, we know his labels, you know, the uh, collectors and DJs will obviously know Loop De Loop, which is like his instrumental series uh, that's been running for many, many years. Cabaret, another label that he's done. So now I just wanted to try. I, I didn't we don't have a lot of time to do this. And we did it outside. So you'll hear some environmental noise. It's also 30 degrees when I'm doing this. And it's like midnight. So, but I did not want to miss the opportunity to talk to this guy. It's very important for me to do it. So hopefully you guys dig it and enjoy. And uh, if this is your first time listening, you end up subscribing to the podcast or coming back or telling someone about it. Then I'll feel like I did my job. If you go to paljoeymusic.com, then I'll also feel some sort of uh, sense of fulfillment. Because um, if you never even heard of the guy's music before, um, and there might be some cats, I, I would certainly think so. I never assume that everyone knows. Obviously, not not everybody knows all the people I talk to. There's some relatively obscure people that are on the podcast. You know, look at Lord Scotch, that, that our last episode. And a lot of people hit me up about that. That was a great conversation and got a lot of people talking and thinking. So if anything, I, I, I hope that people will research and, and uh, come across stuff, especially for pal Joey, who has like a, a, a wealth of, of incredible, you know, funky productions to go back on. So um, if you ever want to like find someone to collect or or go down that like rabbit hole of like researching a new uh, an artist that you were maybe only know him from hot music or maybe only know him from the Cherish Today. Sade, he was the first person to remix her, you know, so uh, we talk about that. So anyway, all right, I don't want to preface it too much. As always, I've already been talking. Let's get into this conversation with the one and only pal Joey. Yes, I'm stoked, dude, here on the house list. Check it out. Jump into this because this is going to definitely be one of the louder and colder. It's actually this is definitely going to be one of the colder conversation that which is good that adds to the uh the new york kind of element one thing that i've always wondered about you just because there isn't like a lot of uh you know long form conversations there's not there's a there's a certain uh shroud of i guess maybe mystery in the in the in your story you know i know what people sort of associate you with certain things but I've always wondered. I mean, you're a native New Yorker, yes? Like, yeah, I was brought up in Long Island, Central Islip, Long Island. Oh, Central Islip. Where yeah. K Solo, I think, or EPMD. Yeah, K yeah, Solo is from CI as well. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned EPMD. Right, that's the town right next door. That's Brentwood. Brentwood, yes. Brothers yeah. from Brentwood, Long Island. Yeah. So, what, so, okay, so your music being like okay so the records really start coming out late 80s early 90s for you like the first physical kind of records but i mean how informed were you living in long island this whole time before like coming in no after the university 
I went to a state school on Long Island. After that, I moved to Woodside. Oh, okay. And um, then I started working in a record shop. Yeah. Besides other jobs. Yeah, because I'm I'm kind of fascinated with tracking it all the way back a little bit further to like just like your growing up in your childhood too, because your music is so. it's kind of informed from two yeah. very different genres, you know? Uh, yeah, the childhood thing was like, okay, I was, my father would like, after dinner, he would play like a lot of jazz records and right. like crooner records, Diane Warwick, Dionne Warwick, right. a lot of Frank Sinatra, and that's where I got my name, Pal Joey, from. Of course, yeah, always. Because I like that whole, you know, scene. And uh, my sisters, they were listening to, they were a little bit older than me, so they, Motown came on the scene and they were buying a whole bunch of those records. Right. So I heard a lot of Motown. So it's, all, it's older siblings, right? Are you yeah, the old, three older sisters. Yeah, oh, three so older sisters. That's always yeah. like in a, an essential way to kind of map out, you know, yeah. if people are putting you on to stuff at that young of an age. Yeah, so, and then, and then like the whole, like the first rap record came out on the radio when I was like 14 right and uh, I was loved it you know so what are you like referring Tim to the third yes. rap is the light yeah, personality job you know yeah and um, yeah so you know there were, were you the in, rock were you... boys that like were like disco sucks right and then there was the black kids and the Puerto Rican kids I grew up with a lot of blacks and Puerto Ricans in CI and and, uh, you know, I was trying to be cool with everybody. Right. And um, you, you, that's it. I, I, I favored, you, you know, I, I, I think I liked, you know, the whole Soul Train thing and the pause buttons and the boom box. And I started making pause button tapes. And I guess I leaned more towards the soul, soulful R&B side of things yeah, instead you, of did the... Did you see someone do pause tapes before? Like, did you just stumble into that on your own just wanting to loop stuff or what how does that even it was just it was just no no there was there was DJs in the recreation center there and like they would they were playing great funk records and cutting up the records like the parts of the records of course yeah and um so who were the Long Island DJs that oh, back in the day they were just local guys I don't right. no one had big names right. it was right. just like you know guys would get out and set up and play um yeah the whole pause button thing was basically just trying to record these favorite songs of mine off of the radio because right. I had no money to like buy the stuff right you know, my sisters, they, they had some 45s, but they played them so much that they were already in my heart and in my head. So it was the stuff on the radio that I didn't go out and buy or I didn't have enough money to buy. I was young. I was right. So... Were yeah. you going to, like, Nassau Coliseum like and in, in seeing, like... I'm just, At like... 14? No. Nah. It wouldn't be until you go in, move in, that you really start being. Because you're no, part of an early school, part of the club. In high school, there were some guys that that were DJing, and they would and they would make they were making some really nice cassettes with with cuts, and I and a couple of a couple of these guys gave me a cassette. And I was like, wow, this is great! Like the way they were cutting up the records and. Um, yeah, that was all, uh, those were the early days of, of, you know, how I really got into it. And then at 16, I started going to, to, to 
dance and wanting to really learn how to dance. Because right. if you didn't know how to dance, like you, it was more about the dance than it was about like the DJ. Like I of wanted course. to really know how to dance. So I was like, you know, putting on my, my best dressed, you know, and like going to the club 16, there was, you know, and... and uh, Were you going into the city? Mm, only to watch Nick games. I would take <laughs> right. the Long Island Railroad that was to... Um, no, I didn't start going into... That was a good era the for the Knicks, house. though, too. Okay. Yeah, yes. I started going to the Fun House when I started going to college, actually. Right. You know, it's like when I, then we would, we would drive into the city and we would go to the fun house. Well, historic place too, in, in, yeah, the, in the pantheon yeah. of, of defunct New York City nightclubs too. I mean, but then yeah. eventually you would be, you know, you would like some, not that long later, you'd be playing in these clubs too, eventually. Yes. Like, I started DJing a little bit later on. Well, I, I started DJing in college. Okay. Right. That's. That's when I really started DJing in, in SUNY school. Yeah. It was SUNY Farmingdale. Okay, yeah. And then we also did Hofstra. Right. We did Stony Brook. All we would Long travel around yeah. like with a system. Right. Oh, dope. All right? Right. So what was the in, in the records of the day? It was like... The records were a lot of shit. like... A E I O U and a lot of a lot of the music that was played at uh, there was no house music at that of time. Course. So there was like Run DMC. There was Love Is the Message. There was a lot of um, new wave music. Right. I would borrow the records from people at the university right. to, and that would encourage them to come to the school to the parties. Right. right. Um, there was a lot of like you know. A lot of like funhouse music and and garage music, all and hip hop like funk, garage, funhouse type of music. So, were you making those like connections in the club? Do you feel like you were like, is that where you planted your roots? Because I'm obviously fascinated with how how you would even got that job at at Power Play I mean does it come out of meeting people at the club oh or? no at Power Play I was working at Vinyl Mania Records shop so the record source was the first thing right well Vinyl Mania Records someone uh, came in and he was printing up bootleg records I don't want to mention no names okay. and he knew the owner at Power Play Recording Studios and I was interested in making records and and that was really, really what I wanted to do. So going and back to Vinyl Mini, you just walked it. I mean, how did that even come about? I mean, a friend, another friend, a friend, and you know, brought me there, and I started buying records there, and I met the customer, the owner, and the, you know, I asked the owner. I was like, I would love to work here, and eventually he hired me, and I started working there. Because if yeah. you start looking at, it, I mean, something. I'm fascinated about with your career too is not only I mean you sort of there's a lot of like relatable points to just your average like vinyl head regardless of what era it is too to, to have like 
you know, love the music to the point where you work at a record store and then in, in a studio apprentice as an engineer. Yeah, it was all kind of at you know, the same time. Yeah, become a, you know, kind of revered cult-like uh, producer, but, but, I mean, like, but also run multiple record labels at the same time. So it's there's like this kind of tapestry that goes along with like your story to be this extremely prolific yet somewhat... Uh, you know, uh, elusive kind of producer guy. I mean, do you do you look back at that time? I mean, because my frame of reference is only I, I didn't grow up in New York during that period of time, so I wasn't physically in in those clubs too. I mean, and people have a nostalgic look back at, at stuff like that. But I mean, when, when I know it's a general question, but I mean, do you? Do you I think what you are you. I think what you're getting at is like, why am I so under the radar? Yeah, I mean, is that what you, I mean, I think, in, in a, a lot in a, of in a way, say that yes, because I've noticed that people say that about you too. Because I, it's it's because of me. It's because right. I prefer to keep it that way, and um, you know, it was a way to always be able to re- reinvent myself without being labeled into one one thing. He's this or he's that. It was it was you know. Remember, I. And th- and that's part of the reason why I came out as a whole bunch of different aliases, right? And of never as just Pal Joey. It was always Pal Joey the producer, right. but as the artist, it was always something that I came up with: Earth People, or Soho, or Blood, or yeah. And the list goes on. Oh, the list goes on and on. I mean, how do you know how many in total? Yeah. Can you catalog them in your own mind? The aliases? Oh no, that it's you would have to go to my website www.paljoymusic.com. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, because each one has its own flavor. It's like yeah. the way people like collect kicks or different kinds of record labels or something like that. There's each yeah. one. Yeah, I. I uh, another thing is like I wanted the the music to speak for itself. I right. wanted to lay back in the cut. As the producer, I wanted, I got to tell you the truth, it wasn't like until I was 10 years really into it where I really had the confidence to say, wow, I'm a record producer. Right. Now I feel good about that. You know, now I really, enough people told me and patted me on the back. We all need a pat on the back. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah I mean, that goes a long way, especially as an artist, you know. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, someone I talked to right before I came here is a good friend of mine, Greg Nice from Nice and Smooth. Yeah, sure. And he wanted me to say sure. what's up to you. Yeah. I, I wanted to know, like, if he remembered ever the, you know, you know, cause obviously Power Play was a, uh, a hub for Sleeping Bag Records. Yeah, yeah. Not he to, worked a lot over there. Yeah, DJ Doc, of course. DJ Doc, sure. So, yeah. I, I'm, I mean, of course, uh, I would love to know what, how you remember those times, too, because, you know, you're probably a young guy then, too. Like, I, I, oh, do you remember what, like, the albums that you were sitting in on and, and what, you know that whole power play time it's, right it's such a historic you know yeah. fabled thing yeah most of the EPMD stuff the hot stuff was done there at power play recording studios and you were in there yeah as a I started out first as a maintenance guy like pulling out equipment if it was broken and fixing it upstairs with the main engineer guy right I was setting up all the microphones. I was, I knew where everyone's tapes were in the library. I would run into Manhattan to get parts for the SSL board. 
Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, and then I and then I went into second engineer of sound. Uh-huh. I never never really wanted to go into first engineer of sound because uh, you the 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 artist would pay the first engineer of sound, and you run the risk of you run the risk of not working. If the artist isn't working, then you're not working. But if you're a second engineer of sound. Then you work for the studio, you're paid by the studio, and you work every day. So I was working every day, nine to five, styly. Wow. And uh, that's, that's how I learned all the equipment over there, um, everyone's set up before they got there. I would align all the tape machines. I would set up. I knew what microphones they, what rock, what microphone Rakim wanted for the session, or what song we were gonna work on that day. So would would Ivan uh, Rodriguez? Would he would he communicate with you the night before, being like, "This is what the schedule is like"? Because is it just the two of you, or there's a couple other? No, I would just go in and look <clears throat> who the client was right, right. in the in the book. The studio manager would there would be a, uh, you know he would sit at the front and he would have all the sessions written down right. and the equipment. If anything, sometimes we would have to rent equipment right. from the stu- from the city. Um, DreamWorks, I think, and there was others. Sar and um, yeah, and then we, as a second engineer of sound, we would. We would set it up. As you're learning, you know, and you're you're obviously being informed from different places. If you're working in a record store, you're seeing what's coming in. You're kind of understanding who's buying what too. This is simultaneous, right? Like yeah. So yeah, I was working what was your in schedule? the recording like, what days studio would you go and the record shop on the weekends. Wow, it's kind of a dream situation in a way. Yeah. You know? So what are you? You're 20 years old or something, or? No, I was a little bit older, I yeah. would say. I, w- I would say I was about 24, 25 now at this part. Amazing. Because after, after the university, after I graduated from the university, I was working for Manhattan Cable Television, installing cable, and then I went to teaching the new recruits how to install the cable. So actually, wow. that was pretty cool. I was a teacher at Manhattan Cable Television. And that was cool, and that was good money. Except I, I don't know. I kind of felt like a number, but it was it was kind of cool, like traveling around with a van all over Manhattan, the Bronx, and Brooklyn, and whatnot. Oh yeah, you see. And I was yeah, (laughs) yeah, but it wasn't enough. So I quit all that to work in the record shop at Vinyl Mania Records, and then I got the job, you know, at at the recording studio. So obviously, yeah. there's like you know people talk about Larry Levine coming into the yeah. shop quite a bit. Yeah. You, you guys, did you guys? You guys were obviously cool, right? Yeah, yeah. Larry was. I don't know anybody Larry wasn't cool with. I mean, what was his we buying didn't go habits out like? to lunch together? Right, but you saw him in the shop. I mean, that, that's a yeah, very. Yeah, he was in the shop yeah. a lot. I would go to the Paradise Garage and hear him play as well. What were those? What, what was that like? You know, looking back at that. Well, the music was amazing. It was just a bit loud for me. <laughs> <laughs> Paradise Garage is 
the music was very loud, but right. but the vibe in there and the was enormous and the dancing was enormous I can only imagine see that doesn't exist as much anymore you know like yeah it was more about the dance then like I said like it was about the dance and um, so what what do you remember what his like record buying habits was like like what like uh, he was such an eclectic he seemed to have such eclectic taste too right yeah I'm sure many people were giving Larry Music, but he sure. would come into Vinyl Mania and he would ask Manny Lehman, you know, what's hot. Manny was behind the counter, and right. most of the big guns would ask Manny, like, what's hot. And because he'd um, look out, probably, right? Because he was he was there before all of us, and um, he well, was just the man. What there. was he like? Because I don't know, I mean, I don't know much about. This, obviously he's a record store Manny Lehman um, great ears for music and the, you know he was he was great with the customers and and um, he was Manny yeah you're gonna have to interview Manny for that <laughs> We had a we had our ups and downs, but all in all, right. As any okay. record store, I mean, I, listen. I know a lot of guys that work at record stores, and they all, uh, you know, they they're coming from different places too. I can understand yeah. that for sure. So by like ninety, I feel like there's it's it's a certain. Would you say it was like a turning point, maybe in your career? That's maybe when you're actualizing that these that this you're capable of like kind of doing a lot as a producer. Did you feel like by that time? Not no, even. No, no. It like I said, it took like about ten years later. Really? Yeah, for it to to really. It. I still feel like a baby in all this. I really do. And that's. I never like really did this to make money, and, right. and it's amazing now how much money we can make with digital sales. That's another thing. It's right. like. You know. Well, and your um, music it plays so well into that too because it's mm. it's it. Has lasted like it stood the test of time, yeah. as like sample based music. One like you're an incredible sampler as far as like arranging samples, drum programming. You know, uh, like it's it's kind of come full circle like two times over yeah. already. You know, and in a digital age of streaming music, you know? I always said the melody was important, and and right. I have to say I I think uh, I tried to throw a lot of that. And everyone right. has their own taste when it comes to melody, but of I don't know. I I've done well with my genre of music. I gotta say, I, I really feel blessed with with the reaction I've gotten from what I've done in music. It's pretty unbelievable. It really is. I can't believe it. I'm sure that people probably know you from different things too. Obviously, your the house music that you've done, soulful house music, deep house, you know is uh, engages with people all over the world. I, I got I got hip to your music because of BDP. I mean, I'm a yeah, hip-hop head. And then, of course, you know, this record right here, which I had to bring duck. because... Uh, oh, no, that's Love's not, Gonna Get Yeah, you. well, Duck Down is I'm a whole other masterpiece. I'm with a B-plus grade right. at the end of the day. I don't hit the arcade. I walk to school from my mom's apartment. I got to tell the suckers every day don't, don't start it. it. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean that yeah. music video too was uh, very impactful, which I just I didn't really realize until uh, today. I think that you were you were in that video. Yeah, I'm unfortunately I'm a drug dealer in there. <laughs> I'm 
I'm Rob the drug dealer. Rob, yes. Yeah. So, so when that was being made, KRS was like, you need to be in this video? Or how did that, that part come about? Once again, I, I feel blessed that to meet KRS One, he he he. We met in the recording studio, sure. and there was he was like Joey, you have to be here. He was like there was something about he he liked my ears, and eventually I he would always ask my opinion. What do you think of this? What do you think of really? that? And then I, you know, then I presented him with some beats, and he loved it. We started working together. Um, yeah. So where where in the process of edutainment did um, did you guys do uh, Love's Gonna Get You? I mean, is it like was it like near the end, or how does that even come about? Because it's a big record, yeah. man. It's an impactful record. Yeah. I think even in BDP's career. You know? Yeah, Love's Gonna Get You. I don't remember if it was in the middle. I don't think it was at the end. Right. Because um, Doc had already done the you know been working with them for quite a while, right? Yeah, I don't know if Doc was working so much on this project, though. That was more like Dwayne Sumal. Uh, Doc was more like Blueprint and You Must Learn prior to this. This was more Dwayne D-Square. Yes. Um, But, uh, yeah, I don't remember exactly when, but we, yeah, it was during that time. uh, What did you make that on? Do you remember Sure, I did. That was sampled on an SP twelve hundred emulator. Nice. And an Akai S uh, 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 Akai MPC sixty. Right. Oh, yeah, okay. Not nice. an S nine fifty. Not an S nine fifty. No. So twelve hundred in nineteen eighty nine ninety. That's yeah. a very new piece of machinery, right? The twelve hundred would come out. Like, I mean, that came out. Obviously, the twelve is first. Yeah. yeah the the emulator was the first one with the keyboard right and we would sample that right and then came the sp12 uh, that had the sounds already in it and then came the sp1200 where it would come with stock sounds and but we we were we were you, you were allowed 10 seconds of sampling time to fill the machine and that was about it yeah, there was nothing more than that so you had to get you had to do what you did with, but like I said, we would lock that up with the with other machines like the S nine fifty or the MPC sixty. Sometimes we had uh, the Publison hooked up What's in the that? studio. The Publison was uh, another sampler where we could actually record into it long. We would do uh, stretch time stretching, so we could Dumb. you could also you could actually do a whole like say chorus, right? right? Not just a piece, not just a sample, but a whole chorus, and stretch it to meet the the tempo of, that you were shooting for the Publison. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, that's not one that people bring up that often, too. You know, yeah. um, the Publison. Because yeah. now I don't have the record with me, but also this year it's so funny because by I, I know I use ninety as a as like a kind of a benchmark, but is the um, uh, is the Dreamhouse record, which probably was the first one I think also dropped the same year yeah, as this. I can feel it. Yeah, complete yeah. like a completely different genre of music, you know, appealing to. I mean, now obviously in New York at that time, you could play those two things could exist in the same universe, right? Um, but I mean, you look, you listen to them now. I mean, they're 
tempos or couldn't be different. Um, when do you remember when you like where did you make that in the in power play as well? Or you, no, you back no, home? that was that was in okay. <clears throat> I remember who helped me engineer that. That was Peter Dow. Okay. Okay, is like who's a unbelievable keyboard player. And uh, that was in, I believe, Silvio, can't say his last name correctly. Uh, it was the owner of New Groove Records, yes. actually. Um, so we did that in his studio. And I may have just took care of Peter on the side. I, I don't remember how that all went down. like Because that song came out on my label. It did come out on New Groove. So... I may have just paid for studio time right. to work in that studio. Maybe. Right, right. Yeah. So that wasn't Cabaret, though. What, which label did this come out on? Right, that was United Sounds of America. Dope. Right. It was that was your come... label? No, that no. wasn't my label. No. That was... Um, no, because they did a lot of stuff. That, w- that was uh, the Frenchman, Crazy Frenchman's label. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, it was supposed to come out on Vinyl Mania Records. I I don't know what happened. Uh, it didn't, though. Right. But, uh, yeah, that was that was like one of the first records I made. Right. Yeah. A big record. I mean, I'm sure, like, people play this. Yeah, people like that, but it's funny. It's like, it's... I, I always had a hard time locking up the samples, so it's like, it never, like... It was rough and raw. Right. But, like, it's... It didn't turn out the way I really, really wanted it to. Maybe because of that, like maybe like people really, really like it. Cause who's perfect, right? It's like it's not perfect to me. It's like this, this. I, I don't know. I was having a hard time with some of the samples, but it was close enough. I got it as close as I could get it. <laughs> Yo, and, and I think those it, sometimes you know. those imperfections can only be heard by the producer too. <laughs> you know, I listen to it. It sounds like a perfect ma- like dance floor <laughs> masterpiece. But you know, like uh, you know, especially in its raw state. And I think nowadays people, because things are so so uh, locked in sonically, like you know, with computers that. Um, that imperfections sound pretty amazing. Gotcha. You know, yeah, like they gotcha. actually sound like kind of yeah. kind of dope. I'll, I want to talk about another KRS record. Um, this, unfortunately, there's no label on it. It's a white label. I don't know if you can guess what, what this that? record is. Well, you what is did it, questions uh, and answers. Of course, yes. <laughs> this is an amazing production too, yeah. by the way, that never came out officially. Yeah, yeah, and and um, is this you? I'm did you make this? I'm kind of upset at Chris for that. Yeah, yeah, I did make that. But did you press this? Yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've always treasured this. this is a white label, basically. Yeah, now, the thing yeah. is, before we jump too far into it, you know, Sex and Violence, which is, you know, really the last uh, BDP album that to really truly exist, you know, you, you, I mean, have like some of the, the, the biggest, hardest joints on the that. The 12 inches. Yes. Duck, I mean, Duck Down, of course. Yeah. 13 and Good. Thir- oh, right. Sex and Violence, right. Yes. So, Duck Down was Sex and Violence, right? Yeah. 13 and Good. Yeah. And who are right. the pimps, too? Who are the pimps? I don't know if that came out on 12 inch. It didn't, no, but it's on the album, though. Right, yeah. But yeah. Who are the pimps? Questions and answers. Right. But. So, what's the story with questions what's and answers? What's the story with questions? Because the album version the is pale annoyed at Chris if you're listening to this you already know though I'm annoyed 
Um, what happened? Yeah, it's like, I don't know. I, I missed the session, and they changed some things around, and I really don't like what they did to it. And it wasn't what I wanted it to be. It, and uh, well, this, this I don't version. like what it is. I don't right. like the version on the album, to right. tell you the truth. I mean, I love Chris's lyrics always, but um, yeah, the I, music, I, I don't like what they they changed some things around. Yeah, now not to you know not not to take any shots. I wasn't at, there that day. Right. No, I thought it was done. Damn it. Oh, the one here. <laughs> yeah. No, the drum programming. Yeah, on this I is thought dumb. it was done, and then I don't know what happened, but right. I wasn't there, and he changed some things around. I don't know. Yeah, this one is superior to me because the way after the verse, when you start kind of freaking the drums and on the pattern, I don't know what you did that on, but it's live. It sounds yeah. like it's live, you know. Um, but you know, I talked to Prince Paul about it too. And no, sound- those were edits with a razor blade. Was it really yeah. the way that the drums? Yeah, it sounds yeah. like you're beating it hop, out on like hop, hop, yeah. Hop. yes. Yeah, those are those are piece. To, yeah, that, yes. that's those are edits with plug a, one, plug three with a razor blade. Yeah. So for people that might be completely like unknowledgeable of how that process was, do you recall how you did that then? I mean, razor blade. It's the same way people would edit film back then. Well, too. you would have to. You would have to uh, find like a kick or a snare, right? And um, you would have to shuttle the the reel to reel tape on half inch or quarter inch, and you'd you would mark it with a grease pencil, like to kick a snare. And then you would fast forward it to like you like the one of a next of a, the measure that you want to bring in, the right. kick a snare. You know, you got to imagine it in your mind. That's how I would do it. And I would take out the piece, right? And like then, physically. Yeah, and then you, you, you put them together. You know, you, you splice them together with leader tape. Uh, Painstaking process, I would think. Yeah, right? you could also record like a whole bunch of pieces, like if you want things to repeat. So now you'll have a whole bunch of, you know, you tape them to the wall and you would have like, Eighth inch pieces and quarter inch pieces and oh, one yeah, bar right. and then do the math and put it put it together stuff like that right because the way this sounds at near this the end part of that song the drums are all over the place so you must have had to do that multiple times right yeah with the razor blade and the and the grease pencil as um, I that wasn't my forte though my my forte was. Um, really knowing when the song was done that's like my strong mean? point you mean like not when like to pull the plug right 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 and knowing if it needs something <laughs> right um you know a lot of people they overproduce things absolutely and yeah. i think i'm pretty good at knowing okay that enough is enough or it needs something right you know i, I don't know if i was I'm not like a really good keyboard player as well. Like I'll play with one hand. Like bass lines and stuff or synth lines? Or it wasn't It wasn't so much the bass. It was more like just little hooks and stuff. Right, right. Um, but I think my strong point is knowing when something is, is had enough or right. what sounds good. At least at the time, I guess that that comes from listening to a lot of records yeah it's kind of hard for me to blow my own horn but 
Sure. It's like, I, I think that's my strong point. Like, you you want me in the studio because of, of my ears, not because, like, I'm this extraordinary keyboard player or right. wicked drum and bass drum programmer. Right. I know how to do those things, but I think it's more a little bit of everything and... Yeah, and watching some... the clock too as well. Remember, right. you're on when you're paying that much money in a big recording studio with SSL. You have to watch the clock. You know, you right. Power play, I would think, wasn't a cheap studio to hang out. No, in, right? no, it was expensive. You you know, you would get rates if it was a 48 hour lockup, or if you know someone was doing an album there. I'm sure. Do you remember any of the 48 hour lockups? Sure, of course. So what would that? So you would would you have to be there that whole time? Yeah. <laughs> So what can you? What album would you associate with that? Is there any nightmare uh, sessions? That, I mean, there forty-eight hours, many. your mind will start to melt after a while, right? Yeah, there were many. Not only in that recording studio, but unique recording studios oh, yes, as unique. well. I worked at. Right. Uh, that's they're not so they're not so pretty. But sometimes we would go home. We would have like a second engineer. Um, or an intern like hang out right. after we as a second engineer would set up so we would go sleep on the couch for two or three hours and then come back right. have like an intern once we set up the mics and did all the alignments and the tape machines right, right. and everything it was pretty much the producer and the first engineer right. and the artist you know I mean the intern you know, had to know somewhat what was going on, like the patch bay, to deal with the patch bay. But, you know, if he didn't know, the first engineer would be able to take up that slack. Right. So yeah, I, but 48 I, hours is a long time. Like, that's you would sleep in the studio. You would eat in the studio. Right. You, yeah, it's like it's not so, so pretty, but... You know, if you wanted the gig, sure. I mean, and and the and the, and the uh, byproduct of that is these a lot of albums. I wish I could look at the discography while we're talking because I know that it's a lot of stuff that people associate, you know, with like this with the golden era of New York rap. Now I, I know that there was other genres of music you guys were doing too at the time. I would certainly think um, in those in those studios, but I would I would think conversely too on top of. Be, having to spend all that time engineering someone else's projects probably made the records that you were doing on your own, on your own labels, whether it's loop de loop or whatever, or, you know, whatever. That that must be probably why you're so prolific doing your own thing too. Well, it was all inspirational, right? Right. It was all uh, you would get ideas. Listen, working in a recording studio is the best school, so you learn. Right. And to do your own thing there were a lot of guys in there impatient like they didn't you know they had the wrong outlook on things um they wanted to uh, uh i don't know they wanted this ex instant fame and it doesn't work that way are you talking about rappers no or every, or no no guys got intern i'm talking about intern oh, guys right, right, right. You so know, right an engineer guys, right. yeah, they're like, what? what's supposed to happen now? They think all of a sudden they're supposed to feel this right. this stardom or something, or there's like something big as big is supposed to happen. Right. Um, it's a know, long process. 
Yeah, if you want to be in the game for a while, I guess you know. Right. It's like if you want to, if you want to feel confident enough to feel like you did the work yourself without having everyone else do it for you. Right, right. You know, then yeah. You know, if if, you, if money is your thing, you may have been able, clever enough to make that happen too. I don't know. There's there's different ways of producing. You know, there's the guys that actually program the drum machines and pick out the sounds and do the mutes right. and EQ and all that. And then there's guys that might do all that from a telephone they might mm. they might be like you know what here's red man make the drums sound like this you right, know what i mean right. here's the record and and they'll pay like a drum programmer right. to do that pattern you know so you know there's guys that you know i i i i enjoyed programming and right, right. picking out the sounds myself and yeah, because you can see how you experiment with it a lot over the yeah. whole discography, you know? Yeah. I mean... Um, it's one, fun. Yeah. It's, it sounds like you're having fun <laughs> with some of those records, too. I mean, uh, like, obviously, like, um, um, the Soho record is is uh, a, it's a fun... Not only is it a fun record to just listen to on headphones, it's a great record when you're DJing. It's a classic. It's like a New York... Yeah. It's like a, the definitive New York club record, yeah, in like a way. It's like jazzy, hip-hop, house... Yeah track how do you like what do you look like how do you look at that record now i mean you've probably heard it a million times in your life but i mean is it something um that you're fond of like overall the yeah i've gotten a lot of um pats on the back for that sure for that song yeah that that record uh crossed over like into the house music realm like house heads were playing that and hip hop heads play that, so like that's a special, that's a special record. It is a very special record because it's a it's a tough line to toe between the two genres, yeah. you know, where it's almost genreless in a way because it's uh, because you just like it's just a funk it's just funky and yeah. it doesn't you're not like oh this is like house or this is too hip hop for me it's yeah. it's like it's just a great record especially when you put it on at the right period of time in a set yeah. it works like yeah. Um, it's 112 beats per minute. Perfect. So, you know, you can get away with speeding it up to a good 118 and it'll work in a house music set. Right. And, you know, you can leave it at 112 or you could even slow it down more. And Yeah, that's, that's, that's a cool speed right there. It is, especially for a funky loop. Yeah, it could cross over to a house music set or a hip-hop set, those types of beat, beat per minute. Like 115. I like that speed. It's not, it's it's a groovy speed for me. Right. Listen, I love house music, but like, I I don't like things speedy, too speedy. Too fast. Like, yeah, it gets me, you know, I don't feel too too good about that. Do you still do you like associate yourself like as like a house DJ? Like, I mean, do you where no, do you fit into I, that? No, no, you know, it's like I would I would always say I make dance music. You know, it's like right, house music right. is like born in Chicago. You know, gospel roots, simple keyboard stuff. You know, no computer. 
Right. You know, but drum machines. You know, I would say I, I make dance music more than I make house music. Now, when I was de- my longest residency in New York as a DJ was Nell's yes, on Fourteenth Street. So downstairs, I would play New Jersey house music. I'd play Chicago house music. I'd play what we were doing in New York, like Little Wee Vega, right. um, Todd Terry. I don't know if you want to say Todd Terry's house music. You know what I mean? It's like it was That's like kind music. of like a, it was like a, a Latin freestyle right, house right. music right. type of thing. You know, dance music type of thing. You know, right. it's like house music to me is like it's like something from Chicago, gospel roots. What about Detroit? Would that fit into that? Did you did you ever go into that? Detroit. When I think of Detroit, I was thinking like there was some. I would think it was more techno, a right. little bit more speed, and a little bit less melody at that time. A little right, bit right. more bleeps and blips, more like ravish to me. At that time, I was thinking, okay, techno is like more, less melody, more percussion, bit speedier than this soulful hip hop ish right. house right. I'm playing. Right. So there were a couple of artists that I like. I like. Like at that time, Kevin Saunderson and Little Lewis, but he's in Chicago. But like, um, yeah, like Kevin's Derek May. There was there was some songs, but I was more into the Chicago guys. I gotta say, Larry Heard. Larry Heard is big influence to me. Big influence. Yes, soulful. Marshall Jefferson. Yes. Well, Robert Owens is on your one of your more recent records. Yeah, I did a. Just recently, yeah, but thank you. Yeah, between the lines. Yeah, it's called. Yeah, Robert. that's another record. You did you put that out on, on your label too, right? Yeah, that's my label. Yeah, <coughs> that's cabaret. That's Pal Joey. It's called oh, Pal, Pal Joey. Joey. Um, it, it looks like a loop to loop logo label, but it's just Pal Joey Records. Where'd you find that logo? Where'd you get that logo? Which one? Loop to loop. The, the character. Yeah, it was my idea to. You know, Frankie Bones was doing Bones Breaks number one, Bones Breaks number two, yeah. blah, 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 blah. So I was like, okay, loop to loop. I was doing a lot of looping. Loop to loop records, number one, number two, number three. So I thought of the boy, which is me, with the bubble, and then putting the number one in the number two. And then this guy, Safi, this Muslim brother, that was friends with DJ Doc, actually did the artwork to dope, that. Dope. Yeah. Dope. yeah. And you went, how, it's up to 25 or what? Is it? Yeah, it's like I have uh, like 24, loop to loop number 24. Like, yeah, like number 25 would be the next one. Yeah. Will you keep doing those? It's still an ongoing. Yeah, because loop to loop, loop to loop has always been, it's these like lost tracks thing, these tracks that don't really have like a person an artist behind it like right. like don't really have like uh they you know and it, and it's it's it, it's like an experimentation experimental type of thing you know yeah you're playing around yeah, yeah. playing around with ideas yeah there was always like four or five or six things on a loop de loop record most of the time i mean i started off with a side a was one song, a side B was a different song. But then right. once I started doing more hip hop beats, 
you know, I would bunch, there was a, you would, a loop-to-loop record, you could find like maybe three or four tracks on one side and three or four tracks on the other, because they were all like right. short, you know, three-minute things. Right, right. You know? I love um, Swim for My Intellect. Was, Swim for like My a, Intellect, Let Me Drive. Like yep. a hip-hop Yeah, sure, yeah. <clears throat> Mother's Day, Father's Day, that's, incredible record. Yeah, that's, that was something that I did with Burrell. Oh really? Jersey, yeah, okay. yeah. We did that together, Mother's so, Day and Father's yeah, Day. I love that. Yeah, yeah one side is Mother's Day, the other side is Father's yeah, Day. Classic. Yeah, classic. Um, another dude that you worked with during that period of time. I don't know if you guys still uh, talk at all, but was the the DJ guy who was scratching on some of those records. Uh, uh, Crazy Kid. Records. K. He was on some of the loop, some of the more hip hop oriented instruments. Right. You did. Then that then that would be DJ Crazy Craze. Yes. Yeah, had, I got a record from. I don't have it yeah, with me, but he, he had a hip hop group yeah, too, yeah, brothers, crazy, brothers crazy. of the Mind or something. <clears throat> yeah, we, I did some Brothers of the Mind songs. That's some straight. Max and Records put out a couple of twelve inches from that group, but it's funny we never, we never did the album, right? And we did a lot of beats, so some of those beats went on the Loop to Loop records oh, without God, the God. vocals, right? right. right? Um, yeah, another classic little bit in there. Um, and before we, I mean, I could talk to you for a lot longer, but it is kind of freezing out here. But um, I want to, I'd love to know how the, the Sade thing came about, because that's a, a giant record too. Cherish the day. You know, yeah, you know. um, Empire Management, Patrick Moxie. Oh, yes, Gangstar. Right, right. So I worked. Exactly. Right, so he managed a couple of remixes that I did. Oh, really? Okay. And uh, that came through that office. And that was great. I did the remix for Sade. I was the first one to ever touch her music. No, really? As a remixer, right? That's incredible. Did she ever. Did you guys ever. Meet? Yes. Yeah. Thank you for making such an incredible record. Yeah, I met her at in Long Island at a show. All right, and um, we met. She thanked me, and Uh, I thanked her. Sure. But I was in the mastering studio with her group, Stuart Nathan, when we mastered the the remix. They all came down, and we were all hanging out at Sony right. during the mastering process. And then after that, I continued to be friends with Stuart, and I would go to his recording studio, and we would fill around a bit. Oh, wow. Nothing really, really came of it, right. but like we would hang out. You know, in the midst of all this of, of the recording career and the engineering stuff, you were you started to get out, and you were DJing too, right? Like you're. This isn't something people because you don't you don't. I mean, I know you do gigs, but you probably do what like a small handful of gigs a year. Are you out there super aggressively to this day? Yeah, I never really had a DJ agent, right? Okay. So I would always get gigs by word of mouth, and again, you know, the recording studio, the the song stuff, making the songs was always more my thing than DJing. I mean, I love to DJ, don't get me wrong, but there there was never a better feeling than being in the recording studio with a a rapper writing lyrics, getting ready to 
to uh, record his lyrics on top of music, whether it's my production or or as long as I'm in that setting, there's there's no I I don't care what capacity right. I'm in. I that to me that's like the best. That's like being in a recording studio, creating, making a song. For me, there's 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 nothing that could top that. Right. So the to me the DJing was always like it's like icing on the cake. Right. right. You see what I'm saying? Sure. Yeah. I mean, you're so, the, you're a now producer. when it comes to DJing. Um, like I said, my longest residency was at Nell's on so Friday nights. That? that was like two and a half years, okay. every Friday night. Right. And after that, I guess I just got spoiled. So I've done a lot of DJ gigs in my day. Maybe a lot less than Danny Cribbett. You did Ministry of Sound, though. I would... I was like the second American DJ to DJ at Ministry of Sound in London. Wow, what was that yeah. like? What was the vibe like there? That went over great. Nice. And, um, <clears throat> yeah, now, for instance, there's a perfect example. They just asked me uh, <laughs> to DJ. Ministry of Sound asked me to DJ during the summertime. And I'm a bit spoiled now. I wasn't the headliner, and I was de- going to DJ with, like, about five, six other DJs. Right. Don't like that style at all. I feel right. like I'm a freaking being pimped. Right. You want to go when, long. When I to... DJed the Ministry of Sound the first time, it was my night. I DJed the whole night. Maybe someone opened up for me. Right. You know, and that was it. Like, I, I, I'm a... I'm a bit of a baby, and two a two hour set. I don't care how good the money is, like that's nothing. What the hell? Two hour set is like is is nothing. I want to DJ the whole night so with six. a backup so six, DJ. Right? I want to. I I why not? Like I'll stay there the whole party with a backup DJ. Right, right, right. You know, if I get a little tired, what I used to do at Nell's was I would show up at ten. And I would play from like 10 to 1. Right. And then I'd have a friend DJ some reggae for for 30 minutes or an hour the most. And then at 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning, I would spin the last two hours and that was it. And right, it was right. great. Right. I don't want to DJ a two-hour set and like, oh, the next DJ's coming. He needs to set up. It, now it's a, it's a headbanger. You, you know, before you even finish your set, the next guy has a Serato unit need, that needs to be hooked up. Oh, there's, already, waiting, holding. there's already people, like, with comp- 20 computers, right. you know, in front of you. And, like, I'm just not into it. So I'm, I need to, like, have total attention. I need to do the whole night. And I guess... I turn a lot of promoters off because I talk about laying low because this is how I want it and it's all good. I get my DJ gigs. I'm blessed. There's always like four or five opportunities in my email saying, Joseph, do you want to come to Barcelona and play? Joseph, do you want to come to Dresden, Germany to play? Joseph... Do you want to come to Madrid to play? Joseph, do you want to come to Shiga, Japan to play? Uh, there's, I, I could DJ whenever I want, really. Okay, cool. 
good. Yeah, I know. I, I feel like it's weirdly, it feels like it's a ra- it's a rarity, you know, because I just it's been maybe here in New York. Because are you still you're still around here, or where you where you move around or what? I have an apartment now. Yeah. So okay. I spend most of my time in France. Oh, okay. Uh, I have an apartment in France. Are you produ- and you're working there too? You're producing. Yeah, I would say like the last six months. I've been tossing a lot of my songs to French producers and having them remix. Really? A lot of the, a lot of the tracks actually on Loop the Loop Records, because like I said on Loop the Loop Records, the, it was these tracks that a lot of times didn't have a vocalist. It was some of these tracks that got lost. I wasn't sure about tracks right. that I feel like maybe needed something else, but was a good foundation. Sure. So I would have like some of these French producers like give it a little 2018 life to it. Sure. So yeah. I do a lot of that and um, what else what else you got going on working on right now? A lot of it right now is about identity for me. Like okay. I just revamped my website. Um, everyone was always making fun of my website. I did it myself. I you, you never could really play games on my website. Okay. You know, it was always pretty much black and white. Um, the diary is dope. That, that, that aspect. Yeah, because yeah, you have a... The thing is, you got a story, you know, and you have a, a Yeah, and, a, and that's, a the whole thing with, that's the whole thing with the website is, like, a lot of people ask me, like, how did you make these records and stuff? So, the, I think of my website as the truth, you know, because a, a lot of people, they could... They'll say this and they'll, they'll say that, but they really don't know the truth. Or right. a lot of guys are like, they'll download like a bootleg or some uh, a copy of a copy of a copy of one of my songs. Oh yeah. When it's easy for them to just email me and say, "Hey Joey, can, can I get a you know a real <laughs> right. copy right. of this song?" And I I right. I probably have no problem with that. Yeah. So, I think like, people might not know that you're, you know, that you're accessible in that way yeah. you know perhaps so identity um setting up um 12 inches i have a new album that you know i have i have distribution i have my own distributor but i like to i like to reach out to new distributors the next 12 inch i'm probably going to put out is with topplers it's this okay. distributor from paris um, I like to try and work with different distributors, so I reach out to different heads, different clients. Right. So and that I, plays into your those releases in the past because they're 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 kind of all over the yeah, place, you know, exactly. in, in a kind of cool way. There's like a a trail to follow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you know, it's been more about identity, fixing the website. Um, I DJ in the south of France. Um, Germany, um, Spain. Right. I'll probably be going to Japan next month. Um, you know, I, what else? Uh, you think an album will come out this year? Like, I know that there's been some anthologies. I gotta say, like, text, uh, is has always been like the challenge for me and finding my Dion Warwick I, I, I gotta honestly say like I've made a lot of music but 
you know, I don't know. This is where I'm kind of blocked. It's like, I guess I could go to a school and find a really cool vocalist to work with. Someone local. I'm not into like making music, sending me files over the internet well, no, yeah, to make a, a song. Far producer. from my style. Right. I can't do it like that. A remix is one thing, right. but like doing something new with somebody, I need to be with them every day. Right. That type of setup. Um, but if I could, a vocalist that sounds like Dion Warwick or Minnie Riperton, <laughs> I'm all down for. I could see that. I would love to produce project. that. Right. In, in, in and. Uh, Behind an SSL board. So all you venture capitalists. <laughs> I wanna see I wanna see it go down, man. And I uh, also just wanna say thank you for just taking the time to do this. I know you're in and out of town. We're outside. This is kind of a, an anomaly for the show and it's like right before the gig too. So I, um, as a longtime, you know, fan of your work, like it's definitely a privilege to talk to you about it. So I, I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Yeah, so much. thank you for acknowledging me. And um, uh, there's a lot of other people that 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 do too. There's a lot of heads out there that um, that I think you you know you might not know. You're like a producer's producer, you know, in a way. So, um, but yeah, but thank you regardless. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Appreciate You're pleasant it. as well. All right, cool. Wow. That was dope. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to that as much as I did uh, recording that. Shout out to Pal Joey. Go to paljoeymusic.com. Super cool. The diary section has all these great photos. He has the full discography. All the labels scanned. So you can really learn a lot from this dude. Um, I'm going to end the show with a track that he did. Beautiful People under that moniker. I think this is 1990. It's like the hip-hop mix. I got the rhythm. Which I think is, you know, there's newer material. It's hard. I could, I, you know, we could, uh, I could have put a mix of uh, a two-and-a-half-hour mix of all of his joints from, from 90 to, to right now. But, you know, picking a couple joints, you know, hopefully that'll spark your interest and stuff. To go to paljoeymusic.com. And to also subscribe to the podcast here, The House List, with me, Peter Augustin. Every episode is edited and engineered by C.J. Stewart. Again, I want to thank Alfredo for linking us up and Bob Johnson, El Cortez, a great little venue in Bushwick, Brooklyn, where I recorded this conversation. A big shout out to Controller 7 for helping me with the uh, intro and outro music. And for all y'all that continue to listen to the people who have been writing in, I've been getting some letters now uh, on different formats. Um, I really appreciate it. If you dig these conversations, that that's amazing. You know, uh, a lot of people are coming from different backgrounds, the people I talk to, different experiences, but we all kind of have this relatable thing. I usually talk to artists that are, you know, just just um, working, working musicians and producers or DJs or whoever. Um, so I think that a lot of people can engage with that. As, I, I mean, I wouldn't do it if I didn't engage with it myself. So and how about that story, uh, questions and answers, the 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 tape edit art lost art where you're i used to i went to film school so i used to a long time ago so we used to you know do our our student films on super 8 film and use an optical printer or you know when you're editing you're cutting and you're taping and you're doing it like that you know this was in the 90s i love hearing 
Joey talk about how he did that because it because if you go listen to it, you can find it on YouTube. I was gonna put it on here, but I'd rather play a different kind of joint. But the original version of Question and Answers, the tape collector dudes and, and like the uh, the real heads, the record collector people know exactly the song I'm talking about. And there's this ending at the part uh, after the actual verses are over and KRS kind of shouting people out. And then what sounds like would be to in today's more traditional way if someone is freaking the beat like they're playing pads on an MPC or or whatever. Now, who knows? It's like all types of like, you know, on an iPad or something like that. But to hear how he actually would do that, to emulate that sound where you're banging out drums on, on, a, on a sampler or a drum machine that's actually like taped and pasted together manually is pretty amazing and genius. So I'm so happy we were able to do this. Pal Joey, shouts to you. Thanks so much, man. And thank you guys again so much for tuning in. Let's let this beat ride a little bit and just vibe out to it. And I'll catch you guys on the next episode. Peace out.